Welcome to the Irish Tech News Podcast, presented by the tech doctor, Ronan Leonard. Hello, Rory. Hi, Ronan. How are you doing? Good, thanks. Okay, we're here with Rory O'Connor from Scurry on the Irish Tech News Podcast. So, Rory, tell us a bit about the background of Scurry. What does it do, actually? Scurry is a delivery management uh, platform for e-commerce merchants. Basically, what we do is provide a connection for e-commerce merchants with carriers. And carriers are what the layman would know as uh, couriers, DPD, uh, TNT, uh, DHL, people like that. Uh, yeah. So one-stop shop, you connect to us once, you get access to all the carriers, and we make that uh, very simple to do. And does that work by just typing in, in? Do you have code you can implement anyway? How does it work? Um, so it works basically by um, us doing all the complexity in terms of uh, the connections, the uh, pulling the technologies together. The couriers have quite uh, disparate and different technologies. So we pull that all together into a single platform to allow the, um, the couriers uh, uh, to provide a shipping label uh, to the customers and uh, we just simplified that it's very complicated and um, we just made that simple and there's a uh, there's a, uh, quite a quite a uh, lucrative business in doing so and then you just get a plugin from you guys to put into your own APIs or your website exactly so we provide an API or we provide a user interface depending on uh, the requirements of the customer and um, we give you access to either put your, pull your data into our um, uh, user interface or you can use our API to make a call for a carrier label yeah that's great it's a bit like Skype it's a bit like uh, Stripe where you can just get the API and plug it into your thing exactly that's yeah. a great great analogy because uh, it's very like uh, what Stripe does taking away the complexity and the um, friction yeah. uh, and just providing a very simple way to get the uh, courier and of course delivery is an essential part of any kind of e-commerce transaction it's key to get it into the hands of the consumer so it's really important almost as important as payment yeah also who would you be your main competitors so in the UK we have a competitor called Metapack uh, which is our, our main competitor uh, most of our business at the moment is done in the uh, UK market so that would be a big competitor but also do it yourself as in the customers building their own integrations which would have been similar to I suppose payments in the past where you had to do a lot of the heavy lifting yourself and uh, connect into um, kind of uh, fairly complicated technologies so uh, basically they're the two main competitors and how do you how do people use you? What, can, what makes you stand out from the other competitors? Like, what makes them think, I want to use Scurry rather than somebody else? Two things really, Ronan. Um, one is um, we make it so simple um, that it's, uh, that it, that's easy to, to use us, you know, plug into a very modern, uh, simple to use uh, API to the Developers love that. Um, so that's the simplicity. But second is customer service. So we pride ourselves on our customer service. Our NPS, the net promoter score, is usually um, somewhere between, you know, kind of um, eight and nine. Yeah. Um, we, we monitor that on uh, a, every every two months from our from our customers. And it's what we're really been good at is finding great uh, service to our, to, to our customers. And they love that. You know, in the past, if you used eBay to sell goods or, or PayPal, the service there wasn't that great, and you're dealing with basically not a person. 
but you're dealing with basically an email back and forth. And if you're lucky, you got a guy in the end line to talk to you in the end after about two, three months dealing with them. Yeah, well, that's completely different. We have telephone. We encourage our customers to um, to talk to us on telephone. We have chat, um, which a lot of our techie customers prefer. I mean, sometimes they don't like picking up the phone, yeah. believe it or not. But we do have the phone number, direct phone number into the um, customer care team. And we also have uh, the old traditional ticket. Um, and some people like that. Um, but we're just responsive on each of the channels, no matter which one. And, um, yeah, we pride ourselves in keeping that NPS score high. Well, it's good to see because I know for a fact that if I'm dealing with somebody uh, buying something online, if I can talk to you in more than one way, like uh, via ticket, via a chat or a phone call, that that reassures me knowing that either way I'll get a problem dealt with pretty pretty quickly and seamlessly. Exactly. And, you know, different people um, like to communicate in different ways at different times. So you may be out and about and you want to pick up the phone. Uh, you may be in a position where you can, you know, jump on the chat and make a uh, connection. You might be on at, um, you know, one in the morning, you want to send in a ticket. Uh, so, you know, we, we, we give the um, the option to do it whichever way uh, whichever way that suits you at that particular time. Yeah. And which one is, is, is used the most by your customers? Um, I'd say the chat yeah. uh, now um, chat has become um, the kind of predominant way for people to contact us um, but it, it probably depends on channel more um, I would say kind of uh, more traditional companies uh, prefer the phone um, so you get a modern um, um, I think we also use um, we also use Slack so you know for some of our bigger customers and API customers they just use the Slack channel, and um, you'd find that is yeah. I think I think Slack is an amazing product, but sadly, it's not been used enough. It should be because it's so simple to use, and also if you do an email, it's going to go through three trying to find emails from last week, last month. Hard to find it with Slack. It's all there in one one neat place, easy to find. Oh, Slack is fantastic. It's um, it's been transformational, even to, to get ourselves internally, but also to be able to provide that uh, kind of instantaneous um, uh, access to uh, to our customers. So when we set up a, um, an API customer, we'd actually provide a um, kind of point of contact amongst our developers uh, directly to that customer. And they just, you know, ping a question, they get an answer ping back immediately, and they love us. Um, so we love it, they love us. I think Slack is a fabulous product. Because if you use Slack, there's an oscillator to send files. So if I want to share with a customer a file, like a picture or maybe a document, I can do that over Slack, which makes email more or less redundant in some ways. Yeah, I mean, we have it rigged into um, internally to our deployments. The developers share their code samples and they do code checks with each other, um, pair buddy, uh, buddy programming, pair programming. They can send um, pieces of code even if they're not working in the same room or even in the same uh, in the same country. So they, you know, would ping um, pieces of code over to each other, have a look at that. Um, they can uh, deploy. Uh, they're integrated in, in with their um, um, with GitHub, etc. With Slack, because it's sent instantaneously, you get it right away. Whereas with uh, email, email is a problem where it depends on when your server sender receives to get the doc to get your uh, email documents. Where with Slack, you get it right away. There's no lag. Uh, we love it. We yeah. love it. Instantaneous, easy to filter. Lots of tools and bots you can use. Um, yeah, it's it's definitely the way forward in in, in communication. Now, now, when it comes to uh, your offices, you're based down in uh, down, down is a is a Wexford. 
Yeah, we're yeah. based in Wexford. We have an office in the right in the centre of Wexford Town. And you plan to open the bit anywhere else or just stay there? Well, we have an office in London, in Shoreditch. Um, so we have a, an office in Shoreditch. Um, so our UK team work out of there. I spend about three days a week over there. And um, we do plan to go global. And, um, you know, Australia and the US are two uh, two territories that we're in kind of advanced um, uh, plans. And you'll see us having operations there in uh, 2017 in both, 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 both uh, the US and Australia. So within five years' time, your aim is to be global. Absolutely, yeah. So um, you know, well, on on the way to that, you know, the Australian will probably look after Pan Asia for the time being. Um, we've kind of been in discussions last year with Singapore, but we just can't. We can't be everywhere um, straight away. Uh, and um, uh, there's uh, lots of opportunities in in Europe. Um, you know, just the US and Australia would be the first kind of port of call. But yeah, absolutely, global company. Um, that's why Wexford is kind of makes it possible as well. I mean, if if our main market was Dublin or London, you know, it would make much more sense to have an office uh, closer. But you know, uh, if you're going to be a global organisation, you're going to have to travel and um, deal with time zones, anyways. Yeah. And what about China? Is that going to be in your plans as well? Uh, yes, uh, China would definitely be in the plans. I mean, you get a huge amount of e-commerce uh, coming um, through China. Um, the Far East um, is the Asia uh, expansion. Not in this. Not in this year. As I said, it's the um, um, next year's kind of Australia and um, at the US. But thereafter, absolutely. Well, I guess the moment is is, is trying to expand slowly and don't expand too fast. So when you expand slowly, you've got more time to do that. Exactly, Ron, and that's part of the, the plan is that just to make sure that it's a kind of controlled um, the growth is uh, quite aggressive in any case, but uh, we want to be very controlled in the way that we do it and not um, to bite off too much uh, more than we can actually chew. Because the worst thing you want is you, you don't have a scenario where you're expanding so fast you can't cope with demand, and then your clients aren't, you can't deal with them because you, you haven't enough staff to deal with that as well. Exactly. So what you, you were talking about earlier about in terms of our net promoter score, we kind of use that as a very um, important gauge for us so that any kind of impact to our service, um, we take that very kind of, kind of concerning because it is a, kind of a USP. Uh, so in the industry, the, the average has been around the kind of four or five mark um, in, in terms of uh, the uh, delivery um, industry. Uh, so, you know, by keeping up at the kind of top eight, nine uh, out of ten, that means that we've definitely got a, a com- competitive advantage and we just want to keep that a competitive advantage. So managing growth is, uh, is part of that. Okay, when it comes to, uh, as a startup, when you, when you first started up, what advice were you given that do you think has helped you so much along the way? Yeah, so one of the one of the first things uh, when I started up, I joined um, Enterprise Ireland's iGap program, and um, on that program, we actually had um, Eric Reese was a mentor. Uh, so Eric Reese wrote the book, the uh, the Lean Startup. Um, so I had. Uh, worked with lean manufacturing previously in a previous life and yeah. I hadn't associated with software I'd been working in software for a number of years and been using kind of uh, the waterfall methodology and I'd seen some agile but I wasn't really sure of, you know uh, and convinced of it. but I met Eric Reese 
and he convinced me um, about uh, how, how how lean the exact same principles that are applied to manufacturing should be applied to software. It made a lot of sense for me, and probably that was the most uh, transformational piece of advice that I had. And from that day, we adopted. Uh, not agile, but lean um, uh, software development uh, principles, and that I think has been transformational for for the company. And what mistakes would you recommend you, people should avoid when they're starting up a company? Um, just a couple of things. I think um, one um, is, um, I suppose, mentors and um, advisors. Uh, be very careful. There's some great ones out there. There's also some um, terrible ones. Um, people who um, kind of peddle, um, you know, being being mentors uh, and um, they don't have experience. They're just kind of, um, uh, you know, working on either experience that was years and years ago or actually never had real experience in the past. So I think that's really important for um startups to get advice but get advice from other CEOs uh, other people who are actually working in companies and have real uh, real experience and um, real advice so on that then there were a number of people who actually also were really good advisors who particularly people who had uh, recently come out of companies maybe a little bit ahead of you um, and um, actually had real practical experience so finding one uh, versus the other can be difficult but it's worth doing your due diligence and making sure that uh, you get the right people to advise you. And also, when it comes to investment, make sure that, that the guy who's going to invest in you is somebody basically that has the actually experience and knowledge to help you grow as well a bit further. Exactly. That's a very good point. Um, money is just money, um, but smart money where you've got uh, individuals who have uh, been on the journey before. One, understand what you're doing and understand you know they've been through it, but two, um, they can help you make connections and uh, more than, 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 than just money. So that's a, that's a, that's a very uh, that's a very, very good point. Yeah, there's no point in somebody giving you a million, million dollars for your business if that guy can't open doors for you because that money won't last long anyway. And once it's gone, it's gone. Yeah, it's a good point in terms of make sure, you know, when you look at investors that um, they can follow on as well. So uh, a savvy investor will, you know, invest some money in your business but hold some back for further rounds and will understand that. Uh, maybe a more um, more amateur or an investor who hasn't got the experience will, you know, put some money in the beginning and not have the money to follow on. And that, that's, that's very important. Um, yeah, and I've seen guys who come on and the, the moment someone says we're going to invest in your company, take the money and they like I said, don't do due diligence, they don't know uh, what this guy has behind them. All I see is the money and uh, the money for them, money talks, but in my view is money can't talk but also will that guy be there in, in three months time when that money runs out and can he actually help you grow further? If you can't, don't take the money. I think that's that's a really good point. The importance of doing due diligence both ways. So an investor is going to do due diligence on you. Uh, you've also got to do your due diligence on the investors and make sure it's the right investor for you. Now it's very easy to you know when you're a first time entrepreneur say yeah I've got that, but really listen to somebody when they tell you that. And um, uh, I made some mistakes on that uh, on that front myself, even though I had received the uh, the advice. So. Um, you do think money talks, but you know smart money talks even even more. I think that's the important point. Right, that's great. Thanks for that, Roy. That's perfect.
Cheers. Okay, Ronan. Perfect. Thanks, lads. Thanks for that. Okay, cheers. Cheers, right. Thanks, mate.